For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Coaches Network. Hey guys, you're now listening to the Coaches Network podcast, a podcast aimed at anyone who's passionate about athlete, talent, and personal development. My name's Coach Yas, and I'm a UEFA licensed football coach, coach developer, and content creator. I'll be sitting down with a range of guests to discuss their journeys, their life lessons, and how you can make an impact. Enjoy. Right, guys, welcome back to another episode of the Coaches Network. Um, today, again, another live edition of the Coaches Network. I've got a special guest with me today, former Olympic athlete um, and leadership consultant now and author, Kath Bishop. Good afternoon, Kath. How are you? Hi. Yeah, good to see you. Good to be here. Perfect. Um, Kath, you know, just for those that maybe aren't too familiar with uh, you, your story and what you what you do now, could you mind just giving us a brief uh, backdrop as to what that is and then we'll kind of tailor from there? Sure. So um, I, I'm probably in the sports world, yeah, known for being a, an Olympic rower for 10 years. Uh, so I went to three Olympic Games and it was in the third one in Athens that I won a silver medal as a world champion year before that. Um, and then went into a really different career working uh, as a diplomat in the foreign office and working abroad, working in lots of conflict-affected parts of the world. And then came back to do what I do now, which is working in different aspects of leadership development. So coaching, um, facilitation, team development, leadership programs. And I do that across businesses, also across sport, and really try and kind of open up, I suppose, the the kind of people side of teams and organisations are things that in sport we we tend to um, be much more open about discussing how we connect, how we relate to one another, you know, our mindset, all of those things, and try and bring that into the kind of leadership world more more fully. Um, and my book, The Long Way, was, um, you know, a, a kind of look across all of these different worlds that at how our obsession sometimes with winning can actually hold us back from exploring our potential in broader ways. Excellent. Thank you for that. You know, I want to kind of just delve a little bit more into your personal journey as an athlete before we move on to anything else. I just want to know, obviously, you know, let's go straight to the heart of it. You know, the Olympics, you know, what, what does it take to kind of, uh, from an athlete's perspective to get there? Um, and what was the, what was your experience like, I guess, being led through that process? Yeah, so I, I think I went through a real journey from the beginning to the end. Um, you know, when I started, um, my first Olympics was in Atlanta, so last century, a long time ago now. Uh, you know, things were very um, kind of macho in the coaching and psychology side of things. To be honest, a lot of that mantra still exists. You know, it's all about who's the toughest, who's the meanest, who's the strongest. Uh, you know, never miss a session. Um, you know, all of this sort of stuff, be really serious, be, if you want to kind of win, you must be really miserable if you lose, you know, you mustn't in, in any way kind of bit like you're enjoying anything until you win a gold medal. And, and this was a sort of dominant culture. As I say, we, we hear it in films all the time. It's actually reflected around us. I see it in the grassroots that some coaches still kind of coach in that sort of way as well. And I, 
I think we're in a bit of a transition period where there's still some of that legacy, but there's also now a lot more kind of evidence, experience, research that shows actually sporting environments can look and feel quite different. So at the beginning, I was stuck very much in trying to learn and get good at that side of things. There's a huge emphasis on the physical training over the mental training. Um, this is also an environment in which kind of, you know, burnout was probably quite frequent because you could never miss a session because that was a sign of weakness. But of course, we know that's not entirely sustainable or sensible over the longer term. And the real sort of change, the real sort of breakthrough, I suppose, for me was between the, the second and the third Olympics, I actually had a year off because I came ninth in Sydney. I was really kind of devastated by, by that performance and just confused really about how I'd trained so hard and made so much physical improvement and yet not being able to convert that into a medal winning performance. And I started to realize then, talking to other coaches, reading, seeing much more of how sports psychology was developing, that we had not really developed a whole area of performance around mindset, behaviors, relationships, beliefs, you know, how we connect with others, how we communicate, all of these perhaps traditionally seen as softer areas, but they're not soft because they all affect performance. You know, we hadn't really invested in these and it was the advent and of performance mindset thinking as it as I think it's now mm. kind of thought of where an athlete focuses on the performance, not on the result. Not because they don't want a result, but because it's only by controlling all of the things within your performance that you optimize the chances of getting the best result. But you can't control it because the result depends on all sorts of external factors. But if you develop and improve all of the things that you are responsible for, and we include in that not just physical training technique, but also recovery, mindset, um, nutrition, you know, looking after yourself, um, you know, sleeping well, all of those aspects, then you stand a good chance of delivering a better performance. You become more resilient with that approach. And for me, that was a kind of massive shift in my experience of the sport. I enjoyed it much more because on a daily basis, we were looking at, how are you improving mm. what did you improve from yesterday not are you good enough to win a gold medal yet because actually well probably not and we don't know anyway because they're not handed out today so let's kind of leave that piece and think about what can i build towards that still mm. but what can i really focus on today and, and maximize the daily gains so i guess in some ways what you're referring to there and correct me if i'm wrong is is moving away from the outcome goal looking more at the process goal um so I guess, you know, from, from your journey as an athlete and obviously then now stepping into this field as a, as a, as a practitioner, if you like, um, what, you know, when, would you mind maybe sharing some examples of when you, I guess, had some of the best leadership um, from your own experience? You know, was there a particular coach or um, it might even be a mentor or some, of some sort where you thought, Do you know what, that actually, that, 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 that was a really, if you like, life-changing experience or, a light bulb moment because I was working under this person or working alongside that person, if that makes sense. Yeah. So like, I, th I think in terms of goals, you're right. It's making sure that the process goals are, you know, are, are really strong and broad again, not just the physical process, but actually covering all of the areas of performance. I think there's also something about having a bigger sense of, beyond a single outcome what does that outcome mean for what happens thereafter so we see lots of champions who win gold medals and then are depressed and crash and go is that it because that moment crossing the line standing on the podium isn't connected to what comes thereafter to life mm. it doesn't have that sense of you know i'm part of a community and, and this is gonna you know it has meaning beyond myself we've allowed athletes to become very isolated when that happens then that great moment the space to fulfill you for the rest of your life 
it doesn't happen even if you reach the top step not alone if you don't finish there so it's less about the outcome it's making sure that the outcome goal is tied to like a, a you know something that has deeper meaning something that has a purpose that lasts beyond and so the sorts of questions that really helped me to develop my thinking came from a sports psychologist chris shambrook um, and, and he, you know, when I went back to the third Olympics, he asked me some different questions that really set me on a different track. First of all, he said, what will you gain from this, from, from doing another Olympics if you don't win? That almost felt like heresy. How can you have an aim other mm. than winning? Maybe that means you're not dedicated. In the old way of thinking, that would be, oh, you're a loser. You're not dedicated to this process. But he said, no, you know, what else are you gaining? Because you might be injured. You might not get selected. You might make a mistake, mm. even if you're the best in the world. But what else are you getting from this? On a daily basis, what are you learning that you will take into your life mm. thereafter? And that highlighted all of those areas around you know, managing pressure, becoming resilient, developing relationships with others that are collaborative and, and fun and really help you to learn and to grow. All of those aspects, suddenly I, I saw in a different light and started to invest in, change the experience, and also they all contribute to performance. So first of all, he asked me that, what are you gaining besides the medal? Secondly, he was saying, you know, if you win a medal, um, what's it going to mean after that? Um, you know, why is that a good thing? Why do you, why do you need a medal? Mm. Uh, is it you know, again, we get so wrapped up in the sense of that somehow proves our worth as a human being. That's not a great place to go. You know, win or lose, that's not a great place to be. So again, thinking about, you know, what are those, and that actually comes back to the first question, and what are the things I'm gaining from this medal that I'll take with me thereafter? Because I'm not going to carry the medal around, maybe a day, but not more than that. But what I am going to carry around is the experience I've had and the stuff that I've learned but I'm then going to take into what comes thereafter. And that, for me, just freed me from, from that sort of outcome obsession, the sense of you're a winner or a loser. And actually, now I'm, I'm just here, I'm learning, I'm going to try and improve as much as I can in a much broader way, freed me up to enjoy it more and actually freed me up to perform at a far higher level. No, no I, I totally understand. I'm just curious then off the back of that, you know, you've started to look at your experiences from that point onwards from a different perspective. How... In if any if in in any way, did that maybe uh, reframe or reshape your reflections of prior experiences? Did you then start to ask different questions of what happened in the past and start to maybe take different lessons from it, if you like? Yeah, I mean, I went back and sort of started to question things that I felt were unquestionable. You know, I had felt I got to learn this sort of tough winner's mindset, will to win, you know, something that I've got to study and learn and take on board. And all the time I was doing that, I wasn't actually getting any better as an athlete. Uh, and I was sort of getting myself stuck mentally as well. So I suddenly realized that all of this, all of these sort of things that I kind of absorbed about, mm. you know, be, be really you know, I, I show how upset you are if you lose. I realised that was, that was a little rubbish. I didn't make you go any faster. Uh, yeah, and it slowed me down from learning all of the stuff that I would get from losing a race, all of the useful lessons that were in there because I was sort of, oh, this is terrible. Oh, I can't accept this. Oh, you know, I'm grief-stricken or whatever it was. And so I realised how many of those things had sort of sidetracked me from actually focusing on the things that would help performance. Um, so I did. I went back. It's taken me a long time because... You know, it's a very dominant kind of ingrained culture in sport, but also in, in business, this mm. sort of sense of, you know, the strong leader and fit in politics as well. This sense that you've got to be almost that physically strong and dominant in order to perform. 
Now, more and more, we're seeing that isn't the case, but there's still a huge legacy in lots of parts of society and stuff that we see when we're growing up. That means it's quite hard to stand against that. You know, it feels like, oh, but, you know, that, that in the mm. narrative of the strong, that's, oh, a loser would only challenge what, you know, our rules of, of the world. So it takes quite a lot, I think, to, for me, it took a long time to really question all that and feel safe to publicly question it as well. And, you know, actually, I read a lot uh, and could see that in sort of researching the organizational world, so going out for helped me to kind of learn more about, you know, cultures, organizations, how to motivate people that I realized, you know, it applied back in sport as well. Mm. So, Kath, you obviously, you know, you make some, you make some really good points there in terms of, I guess, the narrative of what leadership looks like or what it maybe was perceived to be back in, you know, as still really today for the most part. So, I guess I'm really curious to know, you know, what 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 took you obviously from being uh, an Olympic athlete to then down this path of, I guess, if you like, education and, and, and pursuing you know, degrees and then obviously then a PhD eventually moving into, I guess, the leadership field. And what, what were some of the things that you've picked up from that experience and some of the strategies that have come with that? Yeah, yeah. I, I think it was a process of making sense of really, really uh, high pressure experiences as a sportswoman and then actually working in kind of conflict areas as a, as a diplomat so seeing some really different high pressure high stakes worlds and actually trying to make sense of what were the things that helped us under pressure and what were the things that weren't you know again people I'd expected to perform I thought were strong then actually weren't always the resilient ones sometimes it, it, it's not something that you can visibly see so I started to get really interested in areas of motivation and resilience performing under pressure leadership you know and realizing there's a lot of invisible areas and if these are invisible then sometimes we're not developing them very actively and that's really what i wanted to kind of um try and do through through my work through my coaching through facilitating through you know work at business schools is to help flush out some of these less visible areas that we don't practice that we don't schedule mm. but which affect all of the stuff we do look at, the spreadsheets, the results we get, they are affected by our mindset. So let's actually create some time to think about the way we think. Uh, so again, I, I'm very much focused on the trio of mindset, behaviours, relationships, thinking about the way we think, is it helping us? And how are we developing it to help us more? The way we behave, again, what's the impact that that has on us and on others around us? And is that helping us? Mm. And, you know, the way we interact, our relationships, are we really kind of connecting and investing in others? Or are we kind of operating in a very transactional way? You know, if we're not developing in those areas, then we're actually leaving ourselves kind of a open to, to you know, not thriving when when times are hard, and we're also kind of limiting areas of performance that that we can develop that are within our control. There's lots of stuff we can't control in the world today more than ever. Um, so let's at least think about the areas we could be working much more intentionally on and improving, which have a huge impact on our experience and the experience of others, you know, being in a team with us, being in an organisation with us, working with us. So it's really about, you know, some of, some of the less visible things, but they're all there. We're carrying them in our heads all the time. They're happening all the time. Let's try and start to develop those and, and optimise those. No, you make a great point. Then you talk there about, you know, I want to bring you back to one of the words that you use there, transactional. And obviously, you know, we... There is this obviously debate about transactional versus transformational leadership, um, and I guess if you think back to maybe the example you gave a few moments ago around your your experience, it was really 
actually this isn't just about a, a winning or losing moment it's actually you know what, what else can i gain from this you know it's almost a shift in the mindset so i guess from from your perspective you know you you now essentially if you like uh, i guess coach people on how to become better leaders um and support people with that process so i guess what what, what would you say are some of the the key things to consider uh for anyone not not if, and these are I guess, transferable principles that work across different industries, not just sport. Um, but what, what would you consider some of the key components to be in that respect? Or more importantly, what would you say, what are some of the key variables for someone to consider if they're looking to step into a leadership role and, and identify whether they're suitable for that as yet? So I think, um, you know, I, I use the, the three C's a lot in my work and talk about it in my book, which are kind of ways of keeping us on track to develop, yeah, you know, that, that kind of broader, deeper thinking. Um, first of all, clarifying, clarifying what matters, clarifying our purpose. Secondly, a constant learning approach, constant learning mindset. And thirdly, um, connecting, investing in those the human side of, of what we're doing. Um, and in terms of clarifying our purpose, it's about thinking, you know, again, what's the stuff that matters over the longer term? Thinking about our values, what we bring, that you know, that, that outlasts any of these short-term metrics. We can get very fixated often in the kind of business world by the next quarterly figures, the annual figures, but you know, these are really just milestones towards something much bigger. So we need to think about what's the bigger difference that we're trying to contribute to. And actually, if we're not trying to contribute something bigger, then then probably what we're on is going to run out then soon. And if we do understand, you know, the why. Um, for, for the work that we do, then we're actually able to, you know, adapt much more easily when we have challenges because we kind of know why we exist. And if we can't deliver things the way we used to, well, does that still have value? Yes. Well, how else can I develop it? So we've seen adaptability much, uh, you know, over the last kind of year or so, uh, much better levels when people are connected to the purpose, the why, the, you know, why they exist. Um, and to be able to relate, you know, everyday jobs to it. Sometimes people see purpose as a, a sort of a lofty phrase that's discussed once a year and put on the wall. That's, that's then no use to anybody unless actually everybody at every level of the organisation, kind of every day, they can relate how your meeting, how your Monday work today connects to something that's that's bigger than you, that's more important. That then also enables you to tap into people's motivation at a deeper level, a more intrinsic level. And I think that's a really big piece. When we focus on just external rewards, medals in sport, you know, bonuses, incentives in business, we overuse those because they're very visible, they're very easily measurable, and we've sort of learned that that's how we do things. But they're actually very shallow, and they stop us from tapping into a deeper level that enables us to be much more resilient and creative if, if we care about something, if we're involved in something that has much wider meaning to it, which is why I think for athletes it's important that the medal has a meaning beyond that moment on the podium. Otherwise, it's an awful lot of work to something that, that lasts, you know, a few minutes. What is it that, that the medal represents thereafter? Mm. What is it you carry around from the experience of having won it? That's what really matters. And that's the bit that will also motivate you to get through the hard times along the way. So clarifying what matters, not just in a simple way, but thinking about your values, that picture of, you know, how do I turn up today? What makes today successful on a day when nobody, no medal is handed out? How, do, how am I at my best? Again, thinking back to, you know, mindset, behaviors, relationships. What am I gaining today? What am I learning? And that leads on to the second C of constant learning. Mm. That's really what athletes get very good at is an improver's mindset, optimizing improvement, becoming world-class at improvement, 
is the best way of optimising your chances of winning. We can't control whether we win or not. We want to win just as much as before, but the way to win is to focus on improvement. So that learning piece, which again, sometimes in leadership, there's that look ahead to, to results, uh, you know, this sort of external piece, rather than what is it that's helped us deliver those results? Because that will determine whether we deliver them again and whether we can deliver them in a better way or whether actually, you know, the way we've delivered these results means, you know, we're, we're done. No one's going to want to work with us again. So a constant learning approach gives us, again, that resilience to carry on because even when we have setbacks, we're still learning mm, stuff that mm. we, we kind of now know and take forwards with us. Um, and finally, yeah, prioritising connections. We, we can't succeed on our own. So let's be more um, proactive from the start of valuing that in the work that we do. Often people arrange their week around tasks, around meetings. These things get scheduled, but not around relationships. And yet most people will say, absolutely, it's critical. I cannot succeed without multiple teams being mm. involved in inside organizations and, and you know, particularly the team you're connected with, all sorts of other stakeholder relationships. So we need to plan and prioritize those much more in our picture of what success looks like, because those are the things that last and will determine how long our success lasts. No, you make some great points. And I think, you know, just something to kind of touch on then it, what it sounds like to me, and please correct me if I'm on the wrong track, ultimately it's about um, this word that I like to use a lot, it's the word legacy, it's about having that lasting impact on someone and you know, as a leader, it's not just about in the moment, it is what what do you leave them with, almost, are they, are they an experience that they can then utilise and take forward and uh, I guess work from and implement things from that, whether that be lessons learned or insights gained, um, to utilise it going forward and maybe potentially then pass that on to others. So I guess, you know, my next question is then, you know, you, you talk there about trying to identify some of the intrinsic motivating factors there. Um, would there, is it, would there be like maybe a specific line of questioning or specific questions that you might, you might, you might pose to, uh, I guess, someone that you, you, you might potentially be a, a leader for when you first interact with them or when you first come across them, or is it more a case of, just uh, taking a bit of a step back and having an observational approach rather than a bit more of a proactive one, if that makes sense. Um, I always use questions just to sort of explore. Yeah, curiosity is a, is a great quality to, to kind of help us be a you know, good leader or just a good member of a team because a leader is always also a member of a team, and an exec team, a leadership team at some level. So, um, you know, I think, again, leadership is, is something that can be present at all levels of the organisation. So I try not to, to kind of isolate almost just the, the leaders at the top, but to think about how do we create... Uh, a, a leadership approach where we're not just managing processes but we're engaging with people we're actually kind of caring and, and trying to develop and we're committed to people around us not just the tasks that we do so curiosity is always really helpful and yeah asking lots of why questions is the sort of first part of that clarifying piece um, and thinking about also, you know, the way we measure things often can be a bit narrow, a bit short term, and that's driven by various pressures of, you know, with, within organisations. But, you know, again, broadening metrics, having meaningful metrics about mm -hmm. that impact, about that legacy, if you like, 
um, you know, impact is, is a kind of another word I, I like to, to, to use. What's the impact, you know, of, after you finish, you know, of, after you've gone or, or after you've become number one in the sector or whatever this, this often kind of quite uh, narrow framing for a name is, you know, then what? So you, you say you want to be number one. What are you going to do as a result of that? Well, the responsibility that comes mm-hmm. with being number one in your sector, how are you going to change it for the better? What's the contribution you're going to make to the community to your, that, that you're working with, mm-hmm. to the environment, mm-hmm. to? you know just being aware of that much kind of bigger social piece which i think actually is you know applies equally back into sport that um you know we've seen amazing examples of athletes um taking up their social responsibility it's always been much stronger in the u.s we're starting to see lots more examples here of how athletes with you know without competitions have connected into communities helped in lots of different ways obviously marcus rashford is the kind of you know the the, the hero of, of the hour but there are lots of athletes who are realizing that they are a role model um and can have a really positive impact in doesn't matter the size or the scale of it so it is that kind of yeah social conscience um connectedness to communities that i think brings a deeper meaning to both the business journey and the sporting journey and that's something that i, I support and, and work very closely with a brilliant organization called the true athlete project and they run a global mentoring program for athletes across at the moment the one that's kicked off in 2021 has got sort of athletes and, and mentors and mentees across 33 sports 10 countries um, and they also work with NGBs and sports to, to mm. kind of build out a, a more balanced, more holistic environment. And, and the curriculum, if you like, for people on the mentoring program or working with them is to start to really develop, you know, a sense of your values, your identity, bringing compassion into performance, connectedness with, you know, nature and, you know, social responsibility. All of these areas that actually help us to thrive. Performance requires us to thrive. It can't be about threat that limits us. You know, short term, you can get some results, but Mm. they're not sustainable and they come at a massive cost. So I think, you know, again, I love their approach about creating a different environment. And that's what leaders need to do, not just solve themselves, Mm. if you like, not just making themselves better, but being aware of their responsibility for creating an environment for others thriving, creating that safety for others to be able to speak up and be their real selves. No, you make some great points there. I just want to take another second just to refresh the room um, for everyone that's in the audience now. You know, thank you for being with us today. You are tuning into a live edition of the Coaches Network podcast. Uh, I'm joined by um, Kath Bishop, who is a silver, well, technically still speaking, yeah, you're still the silver medalist, Olympian, um, turned leadership consultant and author. Um, we're talking, you know, just a, a little bit about Kath's journey and her insights into leadership. Um, guys, please take a second to, ref- uh, you know, ping the room, um, get some more people in it. And obviously there will be an opportunity uh, towards the back end of the discussion to ask questions. So please bear that in mind. Um, I'll give you a heads up at that point. But Kath, uh, you know, straight back over to you, I guess. And I guess, you know, one of the things I'm curious to find, obviously, you know, you was in a sport where you were largely working in a pair. How does that what potential impact would that have on the leadership style? Um, you, know, you talk there about creating an environment as an example. Um, is there certain different things that you might have to consider where, whether it is maybe potentially a one-to-one situation or a, a pair in your case, or even beyond if we're looking at potentially a football team where you've got a squad of maybe 15 to 20 players? Um, yeah, great question. We're, we're all, you know, even 
Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Even if you end up in a boat with two people, you come from a squad. And so you're always training as a squad. There are also other boat sizes. So you might end up in a boat of four, a boat of eight. So it's very much you're, you're devoting that skill to, to be a good crew member in, in whatever crew you, you end up in. Um, and of course, even if you're in a smaller, smaller boat, um, there's two of you on the water, but there's a huge support team mm. in terms of the physiologists, the sports sides, the nutritionists, you know, all the coaches, you know, all of that side, plus your kind of personal support network as well. So I think you're always a member of multiple teams. That's, I think, a common experience at the moment in, in business as well. You you connect with lots of different teams. And, and so therefore you have a responsibility for how you contribute to that team experience for everyone else who's working with you. And I think sort of certainly, in, you know, again, in that kind of early period, I didn't really think about that. I didn't, you know, I didn't really think about, you know, the experience of people working with me if they were, you know, part of the sports science team or if they were part of, part of another aspect of the team and thinking about actually how do I help them to thrive at their jobs? I just thought, oh, well, they're, they're experts coming to tell me sort of what I need to do and how hard I need to train. And, you know, didn't really see that collaborative piece about actually together, you know, if I understand a bit more of their perspective, they understand a bit more of my perspective, then together we can create something that adds value for, for both of us mm. rather than that transactional, you know, okay tell me what exercises to do and I go and do them so I think that's like a, a, a really kind of important element that's developing much more in, in the culture both in sport and, and in business uh, you know how, how can we actually be much more able to co-create things rather than be directive about how we do things you know particularly in a world where a lot of our, our kind of challenges are becoming more complex and there is no single answer mm. uh, and we're still yet stuck often with the language of searching for the right answer rather than thinking about how do we experiment, learn, you know, adapt, refine, try again, and, and get much more into that kind of iterative learning process, which is a challenge because we're often not taught that when we're younger. We're often not taught that, mm. you know, again, like early experiences at school and, and including sport in that sort of this is the right way to do it rather than, well, what's the right way for you to hold the mm. hockey stick that, that is comfortable to you and, and works and enables you to connect with people around you? So I think we need to shift much more and, and in, in our leadership thinking then as part of that, we need to see ourselves as facilitating others rather than being the hero with the mm. best answers. And we then behave in a very different way if we see that as being our aim. No, you make, you make some great points and it kind of really resonates with me because I, I often, you know, especially in my sport, you know, I'm a football coach and we're often always having discussions around, well, what's your, what's your coaching philosophy? How, what kind of coach are you? And, uh, you know, my, my whole perspective on what that looks like has shifted massively from when I first started, maybe just over 10 years ago, to, to where I am now, where I used to be very much um, directive, telling the players, this is what I want to see and not really ever giving them any real rationale as to why, um, but just saying, this is what I want to see. That's it. I'm the coach. End of. Um, whereas now I'm, I've kind of shifted right across the other end of the spectrum where I find myself a bit more um, given a direction or given an end, uh, end goal or, or at least a, a framing some sort of picture for them to kind of work towards, but allowing them to discover that journey. 
um, with me alongside them rather than me in front of them, if that makes sense. Um, yeah, and actually, it's just, it's just sustainable. Yeah. yeah, 100%. And I find that, you know, even as part of that process, I find myself becoming, allowing myself to become more vulnerable with them um, because I've, I've, I've found that from doing that, it has actually helped me get even more trust from them. So that if I do then get to a point where I need to direct them in some ways, they're a bit more receptive to it. Not to say that they weren't previously, but it definitely has helped me a lot more in that respect. So, you know, coming back to the question was, you know, what type of coach you, I often refer to myself as a coach of the why I want to help you understand why you're making certain decisions. Um, because I'm, I'm, and again, another word that you used earlier about being curious, I'm curious. I want to know why did you make that decision? Um, cause if, if you did make a decision, whether it was good, whether it was bad is, you know, that's, that's, that's irrelevant. It's gone now. We can't do nothing about that. But what we can do is try and understand why it happened and whether we were conscious that that was what was happening in the moment, if that makes sense. So I'm curious mm, you know, totally. from, you know, from your perspective then to know how important is it then, you know, you talked about setting an environment earlier. How important is it that the environment that the leader, I guess, looks to set is one where it's, uh, if you like, set up to breed more leaders? Yeah, yeah, I mean, absolutely. We, we want to be facilitating others to thrive. Uh, and if we're not doing that, then we are hurting ourselves at the same time. So, you know, the, the question is, do we understand what people need to thrive? And again, often, um, you know, we make assumptions about what that looks like. It's rewards, it's, you know, incentives rather than maybe actually they just need to feel that they belong, that they're accepted, that they can be safe to speak up and share their view, whatever it is. Um, so we often kind of don't, don't think, you know, perhaps carefully enough about that environment. It's, this is hard ongoing work as well. It's not like on the next course that I'm going to fix the environment and then I'm going to go back to fixing the sales figures. You know, this is ongoing stuff, but that's that's the difference between leadership and management. We manage the processes, we track in the, the figures of sales or, or mm. goals scored or whatever it isn't, but leadership is about this bigger piece of the ongoing culture and the environment around us and understanding that at that deeper level, the difference between the trust that's created in that the style you now coach with the relationship that you had before it makes a difference it's happening at a at a deeper level and i think that's it's really critical and it takes some you also need to be much more thoughtful about it so if we're in operational mode we are you know getting stuff done we're ticking tasks off a list then we're, that's quite a hard mindset to then you know, think about, well, what's the environment like around me? I've got to connect with people in a different way. I've got to get feedback in a different way. I've got to have, you know, myself a different way mm -hmm. of thinking and headspace in order to think about what can I do next and what's the impact of that going to be and, and who's going to tell me what the impact is in an honest way. So there's also something about getting out of a, a kind of ever busy mindset of just endless tasks, endless meetings, because that just tends to get us into a churn of doing things the way we've always done them. And that's not a great place to be as an athlete or as a business leader. Definitely. And kind of just on that, then, you know, you, I want to bring you back to something we touched on earlier and it's that, that intrinsic motivation piece. And you mentioned the word rewards a couple of times as well. How important is it then that that reward is actually supported and just helps, uh, I guess, established in some ways by the athlete themselves and how, you know, and what maybe share of that should be, left to the coach or the leader in, in, in a said organization, if you, if you like? I mean, as much as possible, that needs to be agreed, you know, co-created, if you like, what, what makes sense, what's actually going to help us 
to, to sustain our performance mm. and what's going to get in the way? At what point is the reward getting in the way? And of course, we also typically reward outcomes rather than rewarding some of the things we've talked about, which have been about, you know, the culture, the how, the way mm. we approach the way we approach things, some of those process goals that process in a you know, mm. in a broad way, you know, encountering the, the kind of human side. So we even need to think about, yeah, what, what does the reward look like beyond the obvious mm. stuff mm. Um, that can actually be more meaningful. Uh, and are we missing a trick by actually not enabling people to to realise that you know recognising progress is a massively motivating factor? In a study that was done across hundreds of organisations in in the US, they kept got people to keep a work diary of what are the things that give you a high in the day and what are the things that you know that that knock you down. What's the stuff that that leaves you feeling energised and motivated and what demotivates you? The thing that came out as the top motivating factor. It wasn't hitting targets, you know, achieving outcomes, hitting goals, getting incentives and bonuses paid. It was making progress in work that matters. And we can overlook that, but that's hugely motivational to people. Mm. We'll overlook that because we haven't actually got to the end of the project yet. So the fact we've made progress, well, we're not there yet, are we? Mm. And we missed that opportunity mm. that is actually quite meaningful for people to connect with the work they're doing and to recognise that you know, I've taken a step forward again. Mm. And that's that mastery mindset in perhaps also talk about in sport or, you know, for me, that constant learning piece that in itself we should be recognising much more because that's often what we're, le- we're left with after the results have come in, we're left with what we learn, which we then take into the next race or the next business project or whatever is on the horizon. So let's recognize that and, and you know, maximize that, increase what we learn along the way and recognize that as a really important part of success. No, you make some great points and it, you know, it resonates with me really well. I, mean, I have conversations about this topic all the time as and even as recently as this morning is that I had an idea of, you know, um, having goals and things that you want to achieve, but then having a, having a purpose, you know, and, and the purpose is obviously bigger than the goals. Like you said, you know, touched on earlier that you get some athletes that get the gold medals and they've achieved this massive uh, feat. But after that, they, you know, it just capitulates and just, it just breaks down completely because they haven't really got an idea of what's going to happen next. When I think the mindset should be, here's the bigger goal. This is the impact I want to have. And these are just some of the ways in which I'm going to look to do that, if that makes sense. Um, I am kind of conscious of time. Um, so guys, I just want to take one more time to refresh the room. Um, I have, I am, you know, you're intruding into live edition of the Coaches Network podcast here. I'm joined by Kath Bishop. Kath Bishop is a, a former Olympic athlete, silver medalist, and she's currently working as a leadership consultant and an author. Um, here is an opportunity for anyone to uh, raise their hands in the stage if they want to ask any questions. Um, you'll have an opportunity to do that now. Just take a moment our first question. Lawrence, you're on stage. You just uh, introduce yourself and then let us know what your question is. Hey guys, how are you guys doing? Uh, great chat, guys. I really love it. Um, my name is Lawrence Schumer. I'm a former professional athlete and now turn my passion into like motivational speaking sort of a mindset and uh, entrepreneur so um cast i really like what you're talking about uh, in terms of like the mindset of an athlete and just thinking beyond just uh, being a professional athlete i think it's the most important thing um i'm obviously someone also who, uh, who didn't really take school as serious and not think about it beyond but uh, only focus on like trying to become as an athlete and trying to play for big teams and stuff and then um obviously didn't go the way I planned it and uh, 
now getting to the position where I'm at now, uh, the past few years, and just getting into the entrepreneur world and realizing the mindset was much something that was much bigger. And not having like a a mentor was something very very uh, uh, special. Like I didn't have that, and that really affected me with my performance. And now turning into that, that's really what I'm I'm actually helping a lot of young athletes with. And it makes so much difference when you actually can sit them down and actually uh, take them through that journey of actually understanding what they can do beyond football or any sort of sports performance or anything that they're doing in their career. So I really appreciate what you're, what you're doing. And um, one big question, how do you sort of, um, because I do, I'm, I'm actually speaking at the moment, um, but I'm also in a small town in Perth, Western Australia. So how do you actually interact and trying to get into this, uh, the space of actually uh, speaking, just focus on athletes, particularly like in, I know you've been talking in uh, specific areas. Um, how do you get in that network? Oh, yeah. I mean, that's a good question. Great. Great to hear about uh, what you're doing. And, and when you say like, you know, things never went the way you planned it, I think that's like everybody's life experience. So that's kind of interesting in itself, isn't it? How we all why do we set people off with expectations that we can plan what happens? But anyway, um, you know, the, the mentoring piece, do have a look at the uh, www.thetrueathleteproject.org because they're all about mentoring and kind of creating that support network of athletes. So there might be sort of quite a good network to, to connect in with a bit more there. They're on Twitter as well. Have a look at the work they're doing on the website. It might be quite good, um, a good group to sort of join in on, and, or, or follow what they do. Um, you know, I, I guess it's the first thing, you know, you have to think about what what's your USP, I guess. What's the stuff that, what's the real lesson? If you were going to give, um, if you were going to give a TED talk, what would it be on? That's the sort of yeah. classic question. You know, what, so that people know what they're getting um, and, and can then think, oh yeah, we need that. We need that. We need that. You know, people need to know which speaker to get in. So I think the more you can kind of define, if you like, your you know brands a kind of horrible word, but you know, yes. actually have that sense of what's the messaging, what's your offer, and and then you can think about who's that most relevant to, and and make sure your network is kind of connecting in that area. So it's a bit more purposeful networking, I guess. And a sense yeah. to develop that. If you record a TED talk, I mean, you could just record a fifty-minute talk and put it out there, can't you? You know, start doing that. Get your material out there a bit. Get get your sort of content out there and developing that for yourself, stretching your own thinking. What is it that I really offer through the mentoring? What, what's the transformation? Get people who you've worked with to to kind of talk as well. Get their feedback on, <clears> on the areas that you made most difference in, and and then you you know that gives you a clearer sense of what you're what you're offering and and who might be most interested. Yeah, great, great. Thank you so much. Uh, what, was, what was the name? Uh, what was the name of the network? Sorry, you gave uh, me like a, it was yeah. Lovely. It's the the true athlete project dot org. Okay, the true athlete uh, project dot org. Yeah. Do you have any problems? Just just ping me a message on Twitter or something. Yeah, I definitely do that. <laughs> Yeah, definitely. Uh, so yeah, I've actually got myself into the uh, space whereby I'm actually speaking a lot more, and actually, uh, the, the, you know, I've done my NLP and few uh, courses that I've done that sort of time therapy as well, which is which is good. So I'm actually a, sort of a qualified practitioner now in helping athletes. Uh, I run a football academy also, so I'm incorporating this kind of sort of uh, education into there, and I've seen massive difference the past two years and 
when I sit down with a player, not just uh, football drills and training, but taking them beyond that, it's something a bit unique. And uh, you see massive confidence in their, in the, in their playing abilities. Uh, so working online as well with a lot of different athletes, which is good. So, yeah, man, I really, really appreciate what you guys are doing. And uh, coach, uh, it just says coach here. Don't don't really, didn't get your name. So... Uh, I'm Coach Yes. Lawrence, thank you very much for coming to the stage with questions. Um, I'm mindful of Kath's time, so I'm going to have to bring the next speaker on. Uh, but thank, thank you, you very much. You. Take care, Joe. Thanks. Right. Up next, we've got Nick. Nick, just let everyone know a little bit, um, who you are and what your question is. Hi, yes. Hi, Kath. Um, uh, yeah, I'm Nick, uh, PE teacher and academy football coach. I'm a coach at Girls Academy. Uh, in East London. Um, Kath, great chat and really interesting. It's fascinating listening to um, tips from, from different sports and especially um, successful women um, that have sort of been able to succeed in um, other sort of affect events and stuff like that. And what really interested me was the part when you were talking about your coach was asking you, yeah, you want a medal, why do you want that medal, that intrinsic and extrinsic? And that's very individualistic and we've all got our own um, driving forces beyond what we do. But I was just wondering if you've got a um, sort of a generalised opinion of what um, what the powerful forces are for the young women in sport. So the young women that are coming through, um, you know, multi-disciplines or whatever it might be. A lot, lot of the girls in, the, in our academy are not just footballers, they're you know, also playing tennis and We've got a golfer and we've got a few few girls doing bits and pieces. I'm, I'm really interested in, in what helps motivate them and how, how I can use those little tips and tricks from maybe other sports to help them develop and help them find that, um, that spark. Yeah, great. It sounds like you're doing brilliant work and uh, in a really, yeah, good to hear about Thriving Thriving Girls Academy in, in, in East London. Sounds cool. Um, I think it's really it, it's really important just to listen to them, for them to articulate it. And they probably won't articulate it immediately. And so or some, some will, some won't. It's almost about having it as an ongoing conversation that all, you know, just as it's an ongoing conversation about their you know, football technique or, or whatever it is. It's also an ongoing conversation about, you know, what are you getting out of this? Why is this important to your life? Because that, particularly when you're young, is going to change, you know, at different points in your life when, yeah, priorities are going to change. And I think the more they can tap into what does this bring you beyond, you know, next Saturday's match, then, you know, the, the more they're able to start to articulate that to themselves. But actually, I'd say it's almost about, you know, really listening, listening beyond the first answer and getting them to, you know, just, okay, well, what, what, what does that mean? Why, why is that important to you? Um, you know, there, there's sort of one exercise you can do, which is like the four whys or the five whys, where, you know, you say, you know, why, why does sport matter to you or why do you want to be in this team? And, and you keep going and why is that important? Because, you know, initially you get that maybe sort of more surface level, you know, because because I want to be good or because I want to, you know, why do you want to be good? You know, then we start to uncover with each layer a bit more of you know what matters to them and their values and their identity and who they are and so helping them do that now now they might not be able to also do that immediately gosh i mean it's taken me you know decades to be able to think through and articulate all of this stuff and i'm you know, we're still working it out all the time aren't we as we go through life and, and our sort of perspective changes so i think it's really about actually you know not coming with any preconceived notion of of, of what's motivating them and 
hearing from them, and as Yas was saying with his coaching, that sort of tapping into them, it might be a little bit slower to get articulated, mm -hmm. but it'll be much powerful, more powerful. And, and you'll be the one with mm -hmm. years of experience saying, well, these are the trends that I've seen. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't, I don't really want to sort of put you in with any fixed picture of who knows what it is that's motivating them and how exciting that you are the one who's going to get to have conversations to, to unlock that with them. Yeah, I think the, the bit that that, I, that, I, that really fascinates me is because we, we, we range from girls from 8 to 16, is that those those driving forces, whether they be intrinsic or extrinsic, will differ throughout the, as their development, you know, as their, the, the things that are important to them at that stage in their life will change. And, and we see that we can quite easily see that from our 8-year-olds to our 16-year-olds, the, the, the driving forces that... that hugely different what drives them forward so it's yeah as i say thanks thanks for answering my question i'm, I'm always looking to get that magpie and still no shine yeah, I mean, the, someone else's uh, experience yeah the, the sort of three cornerstones if you like of the deeper intrinsic motivation which is always more powerful that we might sometimes feel we we want to ignore it um but actually that is still going to be more powerful around purpose so mm. that bigger picture doesn't have to be world saving it can be just connecting something bigger than yourself in some way autonomy and mastery and often we kind of slightly overlook that autonomy piece because we start pushing young people to do various things and so this is what we've got to do next and see what you and, and they can lose that autonomy and that has a you know a slow effect but a really devastating effect on them wanting to do things just so you know what I'm, i just don't want to be be what you're asking me to be because i haven't been able to sort of become it or develop mm. it or choose myself so you know again keeping in mind that sort of autonomy piece and the mastery we're just improving we're just learning and you might become the best footballer or you might actually take those skills into something completely completely different you haven't yet discovered and become the best in who knows well, you might not become the best in anything because that doesn't have to be the end result either. There's something about, I guess, focusing back then, those three purpose, autonomy and mastery, are maybe some quite useful areas to start exploring with them. Yeah, thanks so much, Kath. Thanks for having me. Yes, appreciate it, mate. No problem. Cool. Kath, I'm just mindful of time. Have you got time for one more? Or... It's just yeah. one more, yeah. No worries. Jacques, um, we'll get straight into the question. Don't worry about the intro. Um, we'll just go straight in. Thank you for your question as well, Nick. Straight to my question, it was, um, hope you're both well. It's um, more around your, your three Cs, uh, um, clarifying, constant and, and connecting. And I was wondering if you just had a, a real short story to, to attach to, to that method. Um, I don't want to say case study because that sounds a bit serious, but uh, the story that you kind of pops up in your mind where the three Cs have worked effectively. Yeah, well, I mean, it's all in the book. So there are many, many different stories and cases and books. So you set me up nicely there to, to, to plug that. Um, you know, I guess they, they've emerged over lots of years of the things that helped me, the things that helped me in different parts of my life, and the things that actually the research tells us are really important to motivation, to thriving. So I guess, you know, the, the clarity of what matters is that question about, you know, what, what what matters when I went back to that third Olympics? What are you going to gain from this beyond the medal? Clarifying those things is hugely powerful to both having a better experience and improving performance. The constant learning piece, again, that was part of that performance mindset where we really focused on each day, what are we improving? Not whether we're going to win or next, not in three months' time, three years' time, because we can't control that. Let's really focus on that improvement piece. That's at the heart, I think, of a lot of, you know, yeah, the, the performance 
thinking that takes you through those periods when the results aren't good because you're still learning stuff, you're still learning stuff, you regroup and, and then the performance comes again. You don't want a roller coaster up, up, up and down. And, you know, the connecting piece is something, you know, again, in, you know, we, we can't succeed if we're not part of a, a, a team, whatever we're doing. Certainly in rowing, it's a massive team sport and I loved that side of it. And we would also connect, you know, the level that went, beyond we want to win or we want to go fast that's not enough and I think that's one of the things that was sort of come up in in, in questions and, and comments from from Lawrence and, and Nicola in a way as well that it's actually finding out why else it matters to us mm. it's actually why are we here why are we dedicating six hours a day to trying to make a rowboat go fast what does that what does that mean and what do we each bring to that what's the different things that got us to this place um, but Liam, yes, we yes we all want to go fast and we want to, to win, but but for different reasons. Once we start to understand that, we connect at a different level. We can then you know understand why we respond differently in different situations. Um, we can understand how we support each other, how we can play to our strengths. You know, you're just kind of operating at a, at a kind of much richer level, both of experience and and performance. I think uh, I'm not sure if Jacques is still there, but you know, fantastic response to the question. Um, Jacques, thank you for your question. Um, all, Jacques, Lawrence, and Nick, nice. in fact, were all three of you, thank you for your questions. I'm very conscious of time. Um, so, guys, just a real quick reminder you know, you have been tuned into the Coaches Network podcast live edition with Kath Bishop, um, silver medalist, um, former Olympic athlete, leadership consultant, and author. Um, just on a final note, uh, Kath, uh, one final question for me before I let, before I let you go. You know, just by having this conversation with me now, you've made yourself part of the Coaches Network. Um, what's that legacy and that lasting impact you want to leave with the audience? Oh, hopefully more questions. I hope I've challenged a few assumptions. And, you know, I hope the conversation goes on. Awesome. And just on that note, if they did have more questions, which I'm sure they will, where can they get in touch with you? Yeah, so, well, I am on Clubhouse, but I'm on Twitter. I've got a website, kathbishop.com, um, LinkedIn. So, yeah, pretty easy to find. Awesome. Guys, just on the final note, I just want to say thank you again to my guests and all you guys in the audience. Uh, if you just take a second just to click on my profile and Kath's profile, hit that follow button, hit the bell next to it, so you know when we're not, when we're not having a conversation next. Um, but thank you again, Kath. You know, it's been a pleasure today, um, and I wish you all the best. Guys, I will be ending the Great. room now. Um, again, feel free to get in touch with myself or Kath, um, and we'll be in touch soon. Well, there you have it, guys. Another episode of the Coaches Network podcast, where our aim is to bring the world of athlete, talent, and personal development together to just one platform. And you can help us with that mission right now by sharing this episode or any of your favorite episodes with everyone that you can think of. You can tag us in those mentions as well on Instagram at the Coaches Network or on Twitter at the Coaches Net. We look forward to hearing from you. Let us know what you thought about today's episode. And until next time, guys, take care. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.